There may be no chapter in the entire Bible that better describes the mission of Lilburn Alliance Church than Romans chapter 15. We've been working our way through 18 messages in the book of Romans, and this morning we come to the second to the last chapter, Romans chapter 15. The key word of Romans 15 is the word nations. Nations. Say it with me. Nations. Again, nations. Now, get this. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 letters that are included in our Bible. Of those 13 letters, he used the word nations 42 times, but more than half of that, 24 times, is in the book of Romans, and almost half of that number are in chapter 15. Ten times you'll find the word nations. If you can't find the word nations, it's because some translations translate the word nations as Gentiles. Gentiles. But who uses the word Gentiles? I mean, it's like, what does that mean? Well, the Greek word behind the word that's sometimes translated Gentiles is the word in, in the Greek, ethnos. Ethnos. Do you recognize an, an English word that, that sounds kind of like that? Ethnic, ethnicity. Okay, that's, that's exactly what it is. Ethnos is a people group. It can be considered a tribe, a special interest group, an affinity group. It, that's an ethnos. Um, millennials, in a sense, is an ethnos. Middle school boys is definitely an ethnos. Uh, there's all kinds of, of ethnos. There are some linguistic ethnos, some geopolitical ethnos. Within our country, we have tens of thousands of ethnos. Bikers are an ethnos. Quilters are an ethnos. Um, uh, uh, garage sale people, are, it's an ethnos. Uh, some people, it's like you see a garage, got to turn in. Walmart shoppers, it's an ethnos. I'm telling you, it's just an ethnos. Oh, not Walmart's Target. Okay, that's an ethnos. So you, you, we've all got our affinity. There, it, it's, these are subgroups of people. Now, 10 times in Romans chapter 15, we come across this word ethnos or tribe or nations. But for Paul, this was personal, yeah. extremely personal. He says of himself, verse 15, but of some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God as a minister of Christ Jesus to the ethnos. He was called to minister to the ethnos. Now, he was of a very distinct ethnos, Jews. He was a Jew of Jews. He was Jewish on his mother's side and on his father's side. He was a pedigree Jew. If he did um, Ancestry.com or 23andMe, he would have been Jewish all the way back. I mean, this guy, Jewish. Okay, well, of all things, God said, um, let's see. Paul, I don't want you reaching your ethnos distinctly. I want you to go to multiple. I want to send you to all the nations. 
So that's what he's saying here. Now, now watch this. So I've been called by Christ Jesus to the ethnos in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the ethnos may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will venture to, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles, the nations, the ethnos, to obedience. Now, oh, there's so much about that I love. I could stick my, stick my straw in that. I could just drink everything there is in that one little verse. Oh, first of all, he won't boast except what God's done through me. I will never boast about how many books I've written, how many times I've traveled. I'm not going to boast about, about how many people are in my church. I'm not going to boast about this or this. I'm not going to boast about how many people I've led to Christ. I'm only going to boast about what God did through me. Oh, what happened to that? Where is that in our generation? So much of Facebook is, I did this, I did this, I did this. But this, Paul said, no, I'm not going to post on Facebook. I'm not going to put the things I've done, I'm only going to put on Facebook the things God has done. Now, obviously, we have a life. I mean, there's nothing wrong with putting up your grandchild. Or I hope we have a few pictures of this baptism this morning. We've got a whole group that we're here cheering for the baptism and others cheering for the baptisms. Yes, praise God. I mean, of course, we're, we're people and we're going to post pictures of a family. But when it comes to boasting, he says, I'm, I will not boast of what I do. I will only boast of what he has done. And what's it all about? To bring the ethnos to obedience. Think of that. Not just to salvation. Not just to pray a prayer. And frankly, not just the step of obedience we witnessed this morning of baptism, but all levels of obedience. That's the end game. It's not just going door to door. Oh, we visited 3,153 homes. Praise God, but that's not the end game. It's not just visiting homes. Oh, we had 36 professions of faith in the neighborhoods. Well, praise God, but that's not the end game. The end game is the obedience, to bring them to obedience. The, the word obedience, does that strike a chord with you? Do you remember what Paul said in the beginning of his letter when he was telling why he was writing this letter? Chapter 1 of Romans, verse 5. He says, Through whom, we that's through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. There it is again. To bring the nations to the obedience of faith. Hallelujah. So now Paul, back to Romans chapter 15, he digs in on this. On this whole thing about bringing the nations 
to obedience. And he, he, he lets us inside a very holy space within his chest cavity. It's the place inside every one of us where ambition lives. Ambition. I want to talk with us this morning just for a few moments about that space inside you where ambition lives. And don't deny it. Don't tell me, oh, I don't have ambition. Oh, when I became a Christian, I died to ambition. God have mercy. Don't do that. Don't play those religious games with me. I, I, I've been studying this thing of ambition. And the reason I bring it, just let's look first at verse 20. Paul says, thus, 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 I make it my, oh, my ambition. Paul says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So what Paul is saying, thus, yes. while I'm called to the nations, I make it my ambition. Yes. Let me tell you, no one else can make something your ambition. You need to do it yourself. You have jurisdiction over your ambition. You steward your ambition. Paul said, in that place, inside my chest cavity where ambition lives, I've taken out the other ambitions and I put in that sacred place in my chest cavity, I put the ambition, now follow this, to preach Christ among those ethnos where nobody else has gone. Maybe it was too tough. Maybe it cost too much money. Oh, for whatever reason, for whatever reason that no one else did, that's where I'm going. That's my ambition. Now, okay, what is ambition? Listen carefully. Ambition, you can write this one down. Ambition is the fire in your belly to do something great. It's the fire in your belly to accomplish something great. And let me say, God gave you ambition. Yes. You have ambition because God has ambition. Yes. Because you were created in the image of God who has ambition, that's why you have a place and a capacity for ambition. Amen. Now, the reason ambition's gotten a bad name is because People of notoriety have pursued the wrong ambition. They have set up within themselves a standard that was unworthy. Now, as you grow older, your ambitions change. If you're in middle school, your ambition is to uh, play the next video game. No offense. If you're in high school, it's to graduate. 
If you're in college, it's to get married and to earn a job where you can earn six figures. It's your ambition. Let's just say it what it is. If you've graduated and you're in, out working, your ambition, the, 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 the number one ambition is to start a company that will make a million dollars a year. It's the number one ambition for college graduates. And if you're approaching 30 or 40, you're the highest two ambitions, a lake house and a Lamborghini. <laughs> now, if God's blessed you with a Lamborghini, uh, God, good for you, I'd like to be your friend. <laughs> and if you have a lake house, God bless you for that lake house. And I, I'm, I'm sincere, praise God for that. But I'm telling you, that is not worthy of an ambition. And I'm gonna tell you why. This word that Paul said, I have made it my ambition. The word for ambition is a compound Greek word and it literally is love of honor. Honor, H-O-N-O-R, honor. The ambition is the love of honor. The only way to fulfill ambition is to honor what is honorable. And the only thing that is honorable is something bigger than you are. That excludes a Lamborghini. A Lamborghini is less than you are. No matter how much you, they can sell a Lamborghini for, it's not worth your soul. You are worth more than a lake house. You are worth more than a seven-figure income. If your ambition in life was to start a company that makes a million dollars a year, you have set your sights too low. The only way to, to, to die fulfilled in life is to sanctify your ambition to take everything out of that space in your chest cavity that is beneath you, that was in your ambition, and remove it and put in its place something that is above you. Most of us in the room this morning have lived long enough to become disappointed with things to become disappointed even with goal setting. Ambition is not goal setting. I'm a goal setter, but this is different. I love goals, they juice me. Not everybody's wired that way. You don't have to be a goal setter to come online with what the message is bringing this morning. Ambition is way bigger than a goal. A goal you can check off and it's time specific and you can set the date for that goal to be reached and, and you can do it. We do it all the time, it's, it's most successful people do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about something bigger. The ambition to see the nations brought into obedience to Jesus, that is big. Yes. 
that outstrips a Lamborghini by a light year. Paul made it his ambition. Why? Now, this one is, is the message. The why. The why is because it's God's ambition. This is God's ambition. This wasn't something unique to Paul. Paul, where do you think he got it from? He got it from the heart of God. The next word is as it is written. Verse 21, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. But, and what he's doing is quoting scripture. Heaven and earth will pass away. What Miley Cyrus is thinking these days will pass away, but, but the word of the Lord will last forever. And God's talking about his ambition. He's letting us see inside his chest cavity. And then, if that was the only place, it would still carry the, the day, but there is not one Old Testament scripture quoted in Romans 15, there are five. It starts with verse nine, then verse 10, then 11, then 12. Look at verse nine. Therefore I will praise you among the nations and sing of your name. Look at verse 10, rejoice, O nations, with his people. Look at verse 11, praise the Lord, all you nations, and let all the peoples extol you. And look at verse 12, the root of Jesse will come, that's Jesus, coming out of the, as a great, great grandson of Jesse, even he who arises to rule the nations. In him will the nations hope. Not only is this God's aspiration and his ambition, this will be fulfilled. You can bank on it. This is the word of the Lord. And because this ambition is not a pipe dream, there have been tons of, of college graduates who, who wanted to start a million-dollar-a-year company that never will, but this ambition, you can hook your little red wagon to, this one's going to be fulfilled. This one will be fulfilled. I just have to read this scripture. You can put it as a, as a cross-reference, but it's Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. This one gets me, and it's, I hope you love the, the graphic on the front wall of our sanctuary that'll be here for a while. Jesus. Revelation 5, 9. Revelation 5 begins, interestingly, with a crisis. John actually, it's such a crisis, the writer is crying because there was a scroll in heaven that contained the final events of history and no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And then Jesus comes walking up and everybody cries out, worthy is the lamb to take the scroll and open its seals. Hallelujah. Oh, this whole impeachment disaster in our nation right now. You wonder what's going to happen? Jesus holds the scroll. 
over anything that happens, any crisis that comes up, Jesus holds the scroll. And then it says to take the scroll and open its seals because he was slain and with his blood he purchased people for God from every ethnos, every linguistic group, every geopolitical group, every subgroup, every ethnos were purchased by his blood. And you know the amazing thing, of all places you and I could be stationed to live right now, it's right here. When the nations are moving in and are living next door. Just this week, I discovered that the largest unreached people group is called Shakes. It sounds like this, but it's spelled differently. It's, 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 anyway. 218 million shakes. You can't believe that. And there's less than this many known believers among the shakes. What in the world? That's not acceptable. But this tells us that there will be born-again shakes with us worshiping him. It's coming. Now, not only are there over 200 million of these precious people, some of them live within a half mile of our church. You shop at Walmart with them. Think of the opportunity that gives us. Are you kidding me? How about this Lilburn Alliance Church as a ambition? Let's ask God to give us favor to lead, shake people to faith in Jesus Christ. To start a home group for shakes. Hallelujah to plan a, a church for shakes. That's what I want to do. Let me mention the second largest unreached people group on earth are Japanese. Over 118 million Japanese. Many of them live within a half mile of our church. Before I'm done, I want us to plant a church full of Japanese believers. Amen. I want to do it. Amen. Why shouldn't we? Somalians. We've got Somalians that live within a couple miles of here. There are, are less than this many Somalian churches. Anywhere in the world. Are you kidding me? Think of the opportunity that we have right here. 
This is within arm's reach. Before I am done, I want to participate in planting a church of Somalian believers. Let me tell us something about ambition. The longer you follow Jesus, the more dialed in your ambitions ought to be coming. The more you mature in your walk with Jesus, the stronger your ambitions should be getting. You see, your ambition is in that place, that holy place inside of you where a lot dies along the way. A lot of unfulfillment, disenchantment, whatever that word is, being disenchanted with, with, with life and with expecting better and, and getting worse. You set your sights too low. You put your focus on the wrong places. I call us as a people today. I call us to open up our chest cavities and say, God, inspect my ambitions. If they've been misplaced, take them out. If they've been too small, forgive me. Grow my ambitions. Yes. Grow our ambition. This is the kingdom of God. Now the whole chapter is built around this as the core. It begins calling for unity within the church. The first, Romans 15 begins with these seven verses calling for unity. You who are strong have an obligation to bear, bear with the failings of the weak and not to please yourselves. Oh, when I read that 20 times this week, not to please yourselves. It's like a slap in the face. Yes. It slaps modern Christianity. Mm-hmm. So much of our whole thing is to please ourselves. Yes. Look at what it says in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. Verse 8 tells us how Christ did it. But I tell you that Christ became a servant. You know the words translated servant here? It's the word deacon or deaconess. We bless the deacons and deaconess. Christ became a deacon. And the way we're going to reach the sheikhs and the Somalians and the Japanese is by serving them. And then before the chapter's done, he says, join this mission this aspiration in prayer. Look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. What is he calling for prayer for? For the mission, for the holy ambition to reach the nations. He asks for money. Verse 24. 
I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey. What kind of help? He's talking about money. Look at verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them, for if the nations, there they are, have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they also ought to share in the material blessings. So he's saying pray this ambition, fund this ambition, and invest your time and energy in this ambition. Paul said, I know when I come to you, verse 29, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Who doesn't want to live in the full measure of the blessing of Christ? How would you students like to get off the school bus every day and you could stand in front of Parkview or Burkmar or Brookwood or Meadow Creek or wherever you're in home school and say to your classmates, I know when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. You, you go home and you can say to your families, I know when I come, I come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. When you go home to your neighbors today, you can say I come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. You can say that when you're under his mission. When your ambition is his ambition. Yes. Now, it's time to end. We're going to end with just verse 13. And it's, I'm going to quote it from the New International Version. The words just fall a little bit. It means exactly the same thing as in the ESV. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why hope? Hope is the assurance that my ambition will be fulfilled. God gives you hope. In fact, I need to change the wording on that one. God fills you with hope. That means he gives to you and me the assurance that our ambition will be fulfilled. That's what hope is. You lose hope, you lose ambition. Hope is the assurance that my ambition will be fulfilled. And God's ambition is to bring about the obedience of all the nations. Not just a little prayer, not even just one act of baptism, but the obedience of all the nations. And when that ambition occupies that space in our chest cavity, God then says, I fill you with hope. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to speak that scripture over you and receive it myself. May the God of hope fill you 
Lilburn Alliance Church with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. 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 Father, as you've been sifting through the inner space of ambition in our lives, some of us have suffered from misplaced ambition. Some of us have lost hope in any ambition. Some of us have forsaken the whole concept of ambition. But Lord, some of us have set our sights on the ambition of heaven. We've linked ourselves with the mission of Christ. And Lord, may this message this morning not just raise the water level of hope, but may it fuel our ambition in an ever-expanding capacity. Lord, make us the most ambitious people in Lilburn, in Atlanta, to the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe.